Now, let me say this, and I'm turning over in my mind. How am I going to approach this to make this clear today? Because this is going to go contrary to the thinking of a great many people today. And I'm not concerned about what you think about me in this connection. I am concerned that you see what the Word of God has to say. Now, the key word in this second epistle is truth. Now, the key word in the first epistle is love. And it's love that is confined to the family of God. How the little children are to love each other. That is the entire sum and substance of it. Now, what about the second epistle when the key word is truth? Because he begins in verse 1, it says, "...the elder under the elect lady with her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth." Now, what about love and the truth? Because the first epistle emphasizes love. The second epistle emphasizes truth. Now, when these two are in contrast and conflict, which one should prevail? And if we get the answer to that, then that will determine our relationship to the false teacher, to the one who denies the deity of Christ. Which one should prevail, truth or love? Now, the so-called apostle of love is going to shock you and me out of our sentimental complacency and our sloppy notion of love. Will you listen to him in this epistle? Which comes first, truth or love? And I may shock you now, truth comes first. Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'm love there, but I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You have to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. No other way. Why? Because he's not only the way, but he is the truth. Now, John wrote, actually, later on, that God is love. But after the Lord Jesus was here and said he was the truth, John said, God is love. But that came later. Now, will you listen carefully? Love can only be expressed in the bounds and context of truth. Love can only be expressed in the limitations and boundary that Scripture sets. Now, sound doctrine is all important. In fact, when we get to the third epistle, John's going to startle you in that third epistle. And, well, he's going to startle you here in the second epistle. He's going to tell us that we are not even to entertain a false teacher. We're not to have fellowship with them at all. Now, that's fine and well and good enough. I'm sure that most of you who listen to this program would be called conservative. I do hear from several liberals that listen to us, and I don't know why, but they do, and they write us, very frankly, rather unusual letters. And we're delighted that they listen. 
But I'm very candid to say that the jungle today of liberalism is a dangerous jungle to walk in. And I just heard this morning of a young man that was in the service, had a real witness for Christ. And he went to a seminary, apparently got lured to it, a seminary that destroys your faith. And this boy now has gone out into social service work, and his testimony is null and void, and he's doing nothing in the world but treading water. My heart goes out to a young fellow like that. Now, there's the other side of the pathway that you and I as Christians walk today. And on the other side is the wilderness of extreme fundamentalism because there are rattlesnakes out there and other venomous and poisonous creatures. And you have to be very careful. And as we said before, we have learned over the years that God's men today who stand for the truth and preach the truth of God, I've found by and large are men you can depend upon. As I said last time, and I want to repeat it again, these men, I've never heard them attempt to separate brethren. I've never heard them try to wreck or ruin the ministry of another brother at all. And I have found them, by and large, men could be depended upon. And they were men that were very gracious in their manner. I remember hearing this story of the late Dr. Harry Ironside. He was holding a conference in one of these conference centers. And you know, a great many people, as I've heard him say, they go to these summer conferences for just one purpose, to compare one speaker to the other speaker and to try to set up some sort of a conflict. And he said that this man came to him one day, and at least I heard this. He did not tell this to me at all. I heard it about Dr. Ironside when I went to a certain conference myself. And I found there that they attempted to compare you with the last speaker, and then the next speaker coming along would be compared to you. That was the way they did it. And that's a conference that I very seldom go to. They don't invite me very often, if you want to know the truth, because I don't like that method at all. But anyway... This man came to Dr. Ironside and said to him, Dr. Ironside, Dr. So-and-so, who was here last week, he said so-and-so, and today you said the very opposite. Now, which is correct? Now, it was on a minor point of doctrine. It was nothing that was vital, but it was a difference of opinion, as all of us have differences of opinion, but we can differ without being disagreeable. And so Dr. Ironside says, well, I didn't know that Brother So-and-so taught that. He says, that's quite interesting. He says, maybe I should look into that. I could be wrong. And he walked away. And the brother stood there with his mouth open because he surely couldn't get an argument there. May I say to you that I'm confident that Dr. Ironside never felt he was wrong, but he at least shut up the brother and kept him from trying to drive a wedge between brethren. Now, that is the thing that, in my judgment today, is more dangerous, actually, than liberalism is. I can spot a liberal, and I can say truthfully that I do not associate with them or 
fellowship with them. I have nothing in common with them. I've been accused falsely by the extreme viewpoint of fundamentalism that I fellowshiped with a certain bishop during a campaign here in Southern California. Well, to tell the truth, I never even met this man. I have no reason to. He and I are in two different businesses altogether, and I've never even met him. I have no fellowship with that. But I have found out that the most dangerous ones for me are the extreme fundamentalists. And I would say I'm more afraid of them, and I'm afraid of these that are a little different than the fine men who stand for the Word of God in the past and many today. And on the other hand, I've met others who prattle pious platitudes and claim that they had the truth. And woe unto the man who disagreed with them on minor matters, especially the matter of separation, as if that was the all-important matter. And their priorities were not doctrine, but assassination of character and name-calling on the lowest level. I have met both ministers and members of churches that I was actually more afraid of than a rattlesnake. The venom of bitterness and jealousy and hatred was dripping from their mouths as they feigned their love and devotion to Christ and to the truth. Therefore, the great message here of Second John is this. Truth walks in shoe leather, and if it does not, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And we need to be very careful of both sides of the spectrum today of faith.